Put our hands together for the Lord one more time. Fantastic. Great to see you this morning. We are kicking off a brand new series called Tell Me Something Good. Everybody say that with me. Tell me something good. I was listening to Bobby Bones on the radio the other day, and he has a little segment in his program called Tell Me Something Good every single day. And he highlights some, something good that somebody did. So he talked about an employee at Chick-fil-A that changed the tire of somebody who had a flat that was going through the drive-up uh, one, one day. Another day he talked about an individual that saved a, uh, a uh, bald eagle who was in the middle of a road and he rescued the animal. He also told the story of a little boy named Logan who was two years old that had some walking difficulties and his parents went to Home Depot to buy some PVC pipe to make him a little walker to help him walk better. And when they met the Home Depot employees, they showed him the plans and the employees said, hey, come back in an hour and we'll have this for you. And they donated to the little boy this this walker to help him get around. And, and the theme of this section is always tell me something good. Well, I started thinking about tell me something good. The last time I checked, the Bible is full of a lot of good. Would you agree with that? Yes. And the book of Colossians has been a book of the Bible. I've actually been wanting to preach for quite some time. And the theme of the book of Colossians is a lot of good. There's a lot of good in the book of Colossians. And so we're going to look at these four chapters, Colossians 1, 2, 3, 4. And the title of the series is Tell Me Something Good. Tell Me Something Good. Now, the writer of the book of, of Colossians is a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul. He wrote about half of the New Testament. He's probably the greatest Christ follower that ever lived. Uh, he was an amazing theologian. He was an amazing preacher and missionary. He was an amazing leader. Uh, just a profound, a profound individual. And he wrote this letter to a church at the city of Colossae. And what's beautiful about this letter is that the Apostle Paul never actually went to the city. He just had heard about the faithfulness of the people and he knew the pastor and he knew that they were having some struggles and he wanted to encourage them. And so he wrote them a nice letter. How about that? This is considered one of the prison epistles. There's four books in the New Testament that are prison epistles. Paul wrote from a dungeon. Prison epistles. Colossians is one of those important climactic works. It was crafted there in a dungeon in a prison cell. And Paul gives words of encouragement while he's in prison. Now go figure that out. That's pretty awesome. It's pretty amazing to think about. He says in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints uh, in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters. And so he calls himself an apostle. An apostle simply means sent one. He, he's a sent one. Apostles are people that had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ and Paul had his encounter on the Damascus road and he was sent out to go and to take the good news everywhere he went so he he calls himself the apostle 
and he's writing to admonish the church at Colossae. Now, we have some pastors that speak words of encouragement and wisdom into Edge Church that are pastors in other cities, and, and some of them have been to Edge Church before, others of them have not been here before, but they're leaders that influence and help and encourage and give direction and, and pray for us at Edge Church. That's amazing. And a great church has people within the body and people outside the body that are helping lead the church to become what God wants it to be. So the influence of the Apostle Paul is profound even though he's never been to this city of Colossae. And he's going to share some powerful words with the church here in the subsequent verses. Um, he had never visited them, but he calls them brothers and sisters. And he had a bond with them, even though he did not really know them. Have you, ever, have you ever met somebody or talked to somebody who was a Christian, and even though you didn't know a lot about them, you had an instant friendship or you had a quick connectivity with that individual because of the Lord? And do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's something that's like, you know, I don't know you, but I kind of do know you. Because we have a common denominator. It's the Lord. And when we have the Lord kind of in the middle, people get connected. And so he calls them brothers and sisters in the Lord. He's got kind of this familial connection with these people he, he hardly, hardly knows. But Paul's going to show gratitude. And I've titled the message Gratitude or Grateful and Prayerful. Because the first sections of chapter 1 deal with being grateful and being prayerful. Amen. Uh, two great disciplines for the Christian life, being grateful and being prayerful. And he's grateful, but what's so amazing about this is that Paul is grateful even though he's in a dungeon. I mean, I got to be honest, if I was in prison, I wouldn't be writing letters probably encouraging you guys. I would say, pray for me, help me, feel sorry for me. Get me out of this. That's not the spirit of the apostle. That's not what he does. Check it out. He says right here, we always thank God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. He's grateful. And what's he grateful about? He shows gratitude because gratitude should go beyond our circumstance. And that's number one on your notes. Gratitude should go beyond circumstance. In other words, I can be grateful even when things aren't going so hot for me. Paul says, the church is going great in Colossae. I'm grateful for what God is doing in you. He doesn't talk about what's going on in him. Now, he knows that he's in prison. but Paul doesn't talk about that. He's like, you know what? I am truly grateful that your church is going so well. I am so grateful that people are loving Christ. I'm so grateful that the church is expanding. I'm so grateful you guys are so faithful to God. Is that amazing? It's amazing. The perspective. It's not like I'm in this, you know, six by six cell and I can't get out of here. And, you know, I'm lonely and I'm hungry and I'm cold. And, you know, i got a creepy roommate and all that. No. He's like, he's just grateful. He's grateful Beyond his circumstance. When you have the spirit of gratitude in your life, even when you're hurting, you can rejoice when other people are celebrating. Amen? You can do it. So that's the first thing we see here. Gratitude should go beyond my circumstance. Paul is hurting, but he's also happy at the same time. Life is like that. 
Life is like that. Most of us today have some good things going on in our life, and we have some painful things going on in our lives. Life is almost always a combination. We're thankful for our family. Family's going great. Finances are struggling. Finances are going great. Family's struggling. Some combination of whatever circumstances are going on in life. You have some good things in your life. You have some hard things in your life. But we should learn to celebrate regardless of the circumstance. We should give, we should give gratitude. And we should be thankful that other people are doing well. Because gratitude, most gratitude is expressed when, when we feel good about what's going on in our life. Paul reaches beyond that. He's like, it's not about me. You know what? Good things are going on with you guys. I want to affirm what God is doing even though I'm hurting. Check it out. There's a second thing, though. Gratitude for the expansion of the gospel. I mean, he says, you've already heard about this hope of the word of truth, the gospel that comes to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world just as it is among you since the days you heard it and came truly to appreciate God's grace. It says, you know what? People are coming to know the Lord. And the church is expanding. Like people are meeting Christ. That is awesome. Good job, church. Way to go, Colossae. Good job. I'm, gra I'm grateful. I'm grateful people are coming to know the Lord. The church is expanding all over the globe, but it's expanding in your city too. Way to go. And he celebrates with that. He celebrates that. We should celebrate when other churches grow. We should celebrate when our church grows. And we should do everything that we can to make that happen and to propel that. And he says, they believed in Christ, chapter 1, verse 4. Our faith is in Christ. It is not faith in faith. It is not faith in ourselves. It is not faith in fate. It is faith in Christ. He says, these people have faith in Christ and our church should be an inspiration. Our faith should be an inspiration to help other churches. I hope people look at our church and they're like, you know what? It's church. They, they took this bold step of faith and they did this. And maybe if they were able to do it, maybe we could do it too. Paul says, people are talking about you guys. People are talking about I'm grateful of your influence. I'm grateful for your example I'm grateful for your faithfulness because you're, you're making a huge impact. And then thirdly, he says, gratitude for godly leadership. He says, uh, you learn this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. So Epaphras is the pastor there at the city of Colossae. I think he started the church actually in his home. If you look at the book of Philemon... Kind of like Ed's church started in a home. The church at Colossae started in a home. It flourished, it grew, it, ex it expanded, it, it, it flourished. He says, you know what? You guys have a great pastor. His name's Epaphras. He loves Jesus. He loves you. He's faithful to the Lord. You guys should be grateful. Be grateful for Epaphras. Paul says, I'm grateful for Epaphras. You guys should be grateful for Epaphras. Epaphras is doing a great job and he honors them and he esteems them and we have a culture here that honors pastors and I'll tell you this summer a couple of leading pastors are going to come in and preach for me while I'm gone and I hope you will honor them
for what they do and, and the men of God that they are because it's a great privilege for them to be in our church. And I want them to feel that spirit of honor and appreciation when they come and they join with us here at Edge Church for a couple weekends. He says gratitude for godly leadership. But he moves on beyond that and he says prayerful. Grateful? I can be grateful beyond my circumstance. I can be grateful for godly leadership. I can be grateful that the gospel is taking root and expanding. But he says also a second thing, prayerful. And Paul begins to intercede on the behalf of the Colossian church. Now there's two types of prayer. There's intercession, which is praying for other people. And there's petition, which is praying for yourself. And a healthy prayer life should consist of both. We should pray for other people. We should also pray for ourselves. If we only pray for ourselves, we're getting a little selfish. We ought to pray for, uh, intercession is praying for the others. Now Paul is interceding on behalf of these people at the city of Colossae. And check it out, in verse 7 he says, or excuse me, in verse 9 he says, For this reason also, since the day that we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual understanding. Now notice, Paul didn't say, Lord Bless the church at Colossae and help them to all feel great about their life. He didn't say, you know what, Lord, let everybody be wealthy and prosperous. He didn't say, let everybody feel warm and fuzzy this afternoon at the church at Colossae. He prays something that is so profound. He didn't even say, Lord, fix all their circumstances that are broken. He says, let them see the wisdom and give them spiritual understanding. In other words, let, help them to see the will of God. Amen? i got to be honest with you. Most of my prayers are kind of like, Lord, help this sick person. Lord, help this guy find a job. He's my friend, you know? These people are hurting. Paul steps back, and he sees a bigger picture, and he says, Lord, just help them to see your will. Help them to have spiritual understanding and wisdom. Help them. Listen, when you have wisdom, you know how to take knowledge and to put it into practice. When you have spiritual understanding, that's opposed to carnal or natural understanding. You see things in the spirit. You see things from a spiritual vantage point that, that's not the natural way to look at things. You're seeing things from God's perspective, not from man's perspective. Amen? It's different. It's different. Paul says, Lord, just open their eyes. He prays a similar thing in the letters of Ephesians and Philippians. So this is a big deal with the Apostle Paul. Lord, just help him to see your will. Maybe you're going through the hardship you're going through today because God wants to help you to see something you have never seen before. And you ought to be praying instead of, God, get me out of this. Maybe you ought to start praying, God, teach me, help me to see what I have never seen so I can do what I've never done. Open my eyes, Lord. Give me some wisdom and some, some spiritual understanding into this. So, how do I do God's will if I don't know the will of God? Now, truthfully, the will of God is kind of a scary thing, isn't it? I mean, a lot of Christians don't want to know the will of God because we're, we're like, if I knew the will of God, it might freak me out. Has anybody here ever been afraid of the will of God? <laughs> Yeah, thank you for your honesty. Yeah, we're all over like, if I really knew what God thought, it might freak me out. Listen, God's, God's will for your life is always good, though. 
Romans 8.28 tells us that. God works all things together for the good for those who love God and who are called according to his purposes. So you don't have to be afraid of the will. The will of God will stretch you. Amen? The will of God will push you. Oh, yeah, it will. Is the will of God good? I think so. That's good, so don't be afraid of the will of God. Some of you are like, you know what? God's moving me to China to be a missionary tomorrow. If I really knew the will of God. You know, man, the will of God is so amazing. It's so awesome. The, the, real, the real connection that we feel with purpose comes in discovering the will of God. Paul began in verse 1 by saying, by the will of God. Paul realized even though he was in prison, he was in the will of God. He was right where God wanted him to be. Don't be afraid of the will of God. He says that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual understanding. In other words, the will of God should be running out your ears. The will of God is like, you know, the, not, the spiritual understanding, the knowledge of the Lord is like oozing out of you. You're filled with it, filled up with it. And that's the will of God. Let's look at these eight things very quickly today. I'm going to give you eight quick points, and you can write these down um, about prayer. Eight things you can pray for yourself and for others. And the first one is this. We, we ought to pray that we would walk admirably. Okay? Look at this in verse 10. So that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. We want to walk, we want to live our life in a way that's pleasing to God, that's worthy to God. Now, we don't walk in a manner to earn the favor of God. And in fact, even if we did, we would never measure up. Amen? I mean, how many of you know that the mercy and the grace of God... We, it's like at this level, and then, and then you know, the, on our best day, we're probably somewhere like right in here, right, you know? But listen, to walk worthy of the Lord, the, the, the word that's normally associated with this term in the Greek language means like a scale, to be worthy, means to be weighty. And so what Paul's saying is that your life, that you would strive to live a life that is in accordance with the will and the way of God. You're never going to have perfection. You could never meet the standard that God has already set. But, but, but hopefully, if God has done this in our life, hopefully on the other side of the scale that our life wouldn't be lived down here in the gutter somewhere. Amen? Like hopefully it would be, you know, coming up a little bit more that we would be at least striving for godliness, that we would be striving to live lives of virtue and character and according to the will of God. And that's what he means when he says, walk worthily. Walk worthily. Walk in a way that honors the Lord. He says also that spiritual insight will get will help us to please God. He says, you will walk worthy of the Lord, pleasing, fully pleasing to him. I mean, we want to please God by the way we walk. And the walk is the general pattern of your life. So that's the, the metaphor that scripture uses to talk about your life is the general pattern. It's, it's, how, you, it's how you operate. It's how you think. It's, 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 it's how you conduct your affairs. It's your walk. He says your walk would be worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And that, I love that word fully because it means in the big stuff and in the little stuff that we would please God. Now see, a lot of people get confused about this. A lot of folks think that God is there to please them, 
But I got some really good news for you today. You're here to please God. Our life is to please the Lord. God is not here just to make us feel warm and fuzzy all the time. And the sooner that we get that, the more prosperous we will be spiritually speaking. Because our life is for the Lord. God is not centering his universe around our own personal comfort and feelings all the time. Okay, It's a big difference. It's a big difference. If you get that into your spirit, I'm telling you, your faith is going to a new level. You're here to serve God. God is the king, not you. You know, the emphasis of the Bible is not people. The emphasis of the Bible is the Lord. It's God. God is the focus of the scripture, not people. People play an important role, but God is the center. So to be fully pleasing to him means my life is centered around the Lord, not me expecting God to take care of everything that I desire. Big difference, big difference. When we have spiritual insight, we'll also bear fruit. Look at this. Bearing fruit in every good work. I mean, you ought to be fruitful. Amen. We ought to pray that for ourselves. Lord, help me to be fruitful. That's good, isn't it? The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, peace, joy, love, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. God, help me to be fruitful. I'm, I'm hurting today. God, help me to be fruitful. I'm confused, but Lord, help me to be fruitful. Lord, don't know what, the, what in the world's going on. Help me to be fruitful today, Lord. Let our church be fruitful, Lord. Let my friends be fruitful. Let my kids be fruitful, Lord. Well, fruit is a huge part of the teaching of Jesus. In fact, in Matthew 7, 17 through 20, he said in the same way, Every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So check this out, verse 20. So you'll recognize them by their, say it with me, fruit. Yeah, you want to get to know somebody, just look at the fruit. Some of you are starting to date some people. And you're like, Lord, are they the one? Look at the fruit. Look at the fruit. The fruit don't lie. The fruit. The fruit. And Jesus said in John 15, I am the vine, Jesus, and you are the branches. And if you want to produce fruit, you have to stay connected to the... That's right. There... There is no spiritual vitality that's separ separated, that's severed from the vine. To be fruitful spiritually, i got to be connected to Jesus. So we ought to be praying for spiritual fruitfulness. I love it. Jesus said in Matthew 7, uh, if, a tree, if a tree don't produce fruit, it should be cut down. You know, I had a tree in my backyard that had been just, it had died some time ago. I don't know. We bought the house two years ago. It was dead when we got there. Maybe it had been dead a couple of years before that. It started leaning a little bit. It was an aspen tree. And I was like, I'm going to cut that tree down. I, got, I had one of those testosterone moments. Like I was leaving the office a couple weeks ago, and the weather was beautiful, and I just felt like a beast of a man. I was like, I'm going to Home Depot. 
I was like, can somebody point me to the chainsaw section? I've never used a chainsaw before. I was like, Lord, please don't let me sever any limbs. I don't want to hurt any children in the neighborhood, but can somebody direct me to the chainsaw? So I rented the chainsaw, and I looked at the tree when I got back to the house, and I was like, this tree is even bigger than I thought it was. And I thought, this tree may fall on me. It may fall on my kids. It may take out the neighbor's fences. I don't know. So, again, the testosterone is pumping. I got a massive rope, tied it around the, the, the middle of the tree, and I started yanking on it. And I got to just brag to you guys in the name of Jesus, I pulled that tree down. Oh, I, I did a big flex in the middle of the backyard. It was awesome. I don't know if the neighbors saw it. Spectacular. I was real proud of myself. Then I realized the tree was just so rotten. I think my kids could have pulled it down. It felt a lot more powerful than it probably really was. The tree was not bearing fruit. The fruit was gone. The tree was lifeless. Why does God want us to bear fruit? Because he wants us to be strong. And when we're strong, we're fruitful. When we're weak, we're fruitless. And we don't have the vitality that we need. And here Paul says to the church, be fruitful. Be, be fruitful in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. We got to be fruitful so we're strong and so we're rooted. And in the Bible, the word fruit is often used to describe a person's outward actions that result from a condition of the heart. In the natural world, fruit is the result of a healthy plant producing what it was designed to produce. If you planted some aspen seeds in your backyard and then it popped up dandelions, you'd think, what in the world's going on? Something's wrong with the seed, right? Something's wrong with that seed. Well, God wants us to be fruitful. And when we're fruitful, we will grow in the knowledge of God. Okay. Now here's some spiritual insight right here. You need, to, you need to know God better than you know him today. You need to get to know God in a more intimate way. Check this out. This word knowledge in the language of the New Testament is a word that means personal, intimate knowledge. It's not like, yo, we met at the grocery store a few months ago. It's a deep knowledge. It's a personal knowledge. I was thinking about that this, this morning. Gina and I are going to be celebrating 23 years of, of marriage this summer. And that's a long time. Some of you have been married longer than that. Yeah, somebody was going to clap. That's good. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's good. Um, I can finish her sentences sometimes. I know what time she likes to wake up in the morning. I know what time she likes to go to bed. I know what shows she likes to watch on television. I know the things she likes to talk about. I know the kind of foods that she likes to eat. I know what she likes to drink at Starbucks. I know I have intimate knowledge because I've been with her all these years. And the scripture's saying, Paul's praying for the church 
I want you to know God intimately. I want you to know God experientially. I want you to know God, not, not just like you memorize a lot, a bunch of facts about God and, and you heard all this stuff at church, but like you've experienced it. You've been there. You've walked with God. You've encountered God and you know him. He says you're going to have spiritual wisdom and all understanding when you know God like that. That's the desire of the Christian life is to really know God. And when you know God, guess what? You'll surge in strength. See, again, I got, God's given me revelation. God's given me inspiration. God has given me insight and wisdom. So, so I'm, I'm being strengthened in that. He says in verse 11, being strengthened with all power, not some power. How much power? All power according to his glorious might. How many of you know God has some glorious might? I mean, God's got some amazing power, doesn't he? Yeah. And God's going to put that power in you through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Listen, the Holy Spirit is an absolute necessity in the Christian experience. I talk to people sometimes. They're like, Pastor, I tried that Christian stuff. It didn't work for me. It was impossible. And a lot of times when I dig down on that, it's people who try to live out the teachings of Scripture by their own strength. <laughs> and I agree with them. You know what? That is impossible. The Christian life is impossible without the Spirit. The Spirit is what gives you capability and capacity beyond what you could do normally. You have to have the Spirit. But when you have the Spirit, you'll have strength. You'll be pulling down trees in your backyard for the Lord. Amen. It's an awesome thing. We need that strength. I love my iPhone. The iPhone is wonderful. In fact, the iPhone I love almost as much as sweet tea. I mean, I'm telling you, the iPhone, I love the thing. It's great. Many of you love your phone. But you know what? A phone is only good if it's plugged in. If you don't plug it in, it's not going to be much good. In the Christian life, you got to be plugged into Jesus. When you're plugged into Jesus, your power will be regurgitated. It'll be resuscitated. I'm plugged into Christ. I'm strong in the Lord. Paul says, listen, I want you to surge in strength. I want you to have knowledge and wisdom and spiritual understanding to get through what you're going through. But, but to have that power, you, you, you got to begin to see some things that you've never seen before. Number six, he says, you're going to develop endurance. He says, being strengthened with power according to his glorious might so you can have great endurance and patience joyfully. Endurance is like steadfastness with circumstances. Paul's saying, you know what? When you have financial adversity, when you begin to see who God is, I'm going to pray for you that you will develop endurance. When, when things aren't going so well for you, when you've got some circumstances that are difficult, then you're going to develop endurance in that. Many of you know I love to coach little kids basketball, and it, it, it never fails the first practice of the, of the season. I make the kids run. I, I love to run. I'm a conditioning coach. I think it's fun. Coaches made me run my whole life. I'm like, I'm going to laugh at you suckers and make you run. And there's always that one kid that's like, Coach, my side hurts. And I'm like, you just ran half of a lap. What are you talking about? Get back out there, you know, get, Quick, quick complaining. Quit your belly aching. 
if you don't run when you have a little pain, you never get in shape, right? If you can't run through the pain, you'll be lethargic. So you gotta you gotta keep running, even though you got a little bit of pain, so you can get into the condition that God wants you to get into. And that's how we develop endurance. And that's what Paul's praying for the church. I want you to be people of great endurance. And when he says endurance, he's talking about circumstance. When he talks about patience, in the next word, he's talking about people. Because you got to have patience to deal with people. Amen? So, listen, what he's saying is, when you see God, when you see God for who he is, I mean, when you got spiritual understanding and you got wisdom, then God's going to give you the ability to deal with people and circumstances that are difficult. And when it gets to difficult people, you need patience. You need patience, don't you? We need both. Finally, he wraps up and he says, giving thanks, which is really where he started in the beginning of this chapter. He says, giving thanks to the Father who's enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Verse 12 says, God wants us to be People who give thanks. When you, when you have spiritual wisdom, you want to give thanks to God. When, when, when God opens your eyes to see all the blessings that he's poured out on you, the most natural thing to do is to give thanks to God. Gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. And why are we grateful? Well, he wraps it up in verse 13. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. Wow. Why are we grateful? We were under the power and the dominion of sin and Satan, and Jesus delivered us from that, and that's why we're grateful. That's why we're grateful. We're grateful to him. Well, I want to tell you something good today. You can be grateful, and you can be prayerful, even though you're hurting. And God's going to do some amazing things in your life as you grow and as you mature with him. We need spiritual insight to live lives of gratitude, patience, endurance, strength, and knowledge. And all of that is at our fingertips when we walk with God. Let's bow together for a word of prayer.